Hi, and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Shannon. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Aaron. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Book Hoarders Anonymous, episode 46. Whew, we're getting old. Wow. <laughs> uh, this is Aaron. And this is Shannon. And we're going to talk about, you know, the usual stuff. Happy 2017, by the way. Yes, we've it's, made it. It's got to be better than 2016. Yes, Let's anything, just hope anything. anything is better. <laughs> I think that's the usual. I mean, it's like a consensus around the world, it seems like to me, that... And I thought it was just me, but pretty much everyone that I've talked to says 2016 was a horrible year, and it wasn't just because of the election. I mean, people in other right. countries are telling me this. So I don't know what happens in the world to foment this kind of thing, but I thought it was kind of interesting that, that pretty much unanimously, it's been, it, it was a tough year. So let's hope 2017 is better. Indeed. Well, Indeed. it's pretty good in the world of books. Yay! What have you been reading this this uh, last few weeks? Um, I read a lot. Um, I was hoping that I would read more holiday books, but I really didn't. Mm-hmm. I read our podcast book, and and um, that was basically it for mm-hmm. December um, holiday reads. Okay. Uh, I read. I I wanted to start reading a little more. Um, epic fantasy because I used to read a ton of it and um this last year I read like a ton of romance Mm -hmm. and this year I I thought that I wanted to read um like to pick out my books a little more deliberately instead of just being like eh sure that sounds good um so I kind of started that early in December and I read um I read Susan Cooper's uh the Dark is Rising. I'd read the first book under sea, over sea under stone a couple years ago, and I don't. And The Dark is Rising is is a young adult fantasy novel. Um, it's sort of like based on kind of Arthurian British legends, mm-hmm. and I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm going to keep going with the series though. It was. I think I would have adored it if I'd read it when I was about twelve. Right. <laughs> and but there have been a lot like been like 20 some years in a bunch of other fantasy novels between now and and then. Right. So it was fine, mm-hmm. but I wasn't super like I have to keep going with this. Yeah, I had that experience with a with a book that seg- sidelines here, but it, this was just kind of a really profound experience for me. I had a book um that I read when I was about 12 or 13. Well, no, maybe a little older than that. It was like my first introduction to fantasy. It wasn't really epic fantasy. It was just a fantasy novel. And I thought it was like my favorite book. It was so wonderful and magical when I read it. Um, it was called The Blind Archer by John Gregory um, Betancourt, who's written a couple other things that are in no way similar to that. To that. Um, and it was about this, this boy's quest to um, get in a fight with this god because this prophecy told him he was going to uh, fight the god and he thought he was going to win but he lost pretty 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 tragically but it 
brought him into, um, you know, this sort of new phase of his life, and he found out he was a wizard and on and on. Um, and in the book, for me, it was just this magical experience when I read it. It was so awesome. And then when it got put up on Bard, I read it again. This was a few years, a couple years ago. And I posted about it back when I was on the DB review list that the magic just went out of it for me when I read it the second time. And it was such a, it was so sad for me because I remembered it as a completely, you know, different experience. And then when I reread it, it was like, eh, it was okay. But I've read a lot of other fantasy since then, and it's just kind of lost its luster. Yeah, I, I think that happens too. Like it's it's really hard because like right now, and I'll probably talk about this more next month when I finish the series. But I'm I'm reading I'm rereading Tad Williams's Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn uh-huh. right now, which is another epic fantasy um, s- s- trilogy. And he's written another book set in that world. That's like, I think a se- like there's a se- going to be a sequel series. Uh-huh. Um, and that there, that one comes out in April. So I was like, Oh, I'll read this now. And then I can start the new stuff. Right. Um, and it's, I remember that I, that, that when I read that trilogy, when I was maybe 15 or 16, um, it was a random pick that, that, either I or somebody at, at, in my library had sent me on cassette and it was so good. It was, I was just like getting into fantasy novels and Mm -hmm. wanting to read everything. And this was like, it was the first book I'd ever read where I could see like, you know, some, there's some pretty obvious analogs to things in our own culture to to cultures and and like religions there's that there's this Chris, there's this fantasy christianity that's pretty important in the series interesting and it, it is it's fantasy christianity and like, <laughs> fantasy christianity you know, i like that <laughs> well it's like his name is adon as okay. opposed to christ you know right but basically the story is the same um and like now i'm reading it it's kind of like Okay, that's 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 interesting, but like that's all you got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Aww. and I think, you know, it it was and and now I'm noticing that that like his his writing is so he's so verbose and that's mm-hmm. not anything new for epic fantasy. Right. Um <laughs> they they all tend to be um but it's it's I've I've talked to a couple of friends into reading it with me, and they're both like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. There's right. literally nothing going on but a bunch of exposition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> snorefest. Um, and I'm finding it pretty interesting, but I don't know whether that's like you know I haven't gotten to the exciting parts. I know that the book starts like the first 200 pages are really slow, and then it kind of kicks up into high gear really fast. Right. Um, and also it was his first published work really so Mm -hmm. he's you know basically still learning what he's he's doing right um but anyway it should be interesting i'll let you know what 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 i end up thinking about it when i yeah that reread i'll be Um, interested what else have you read i did read uh the other epic fantasy i read was the the um sacred hunt duology by michelle west Mm -hmm. um she has written a ton of of fantasy novels um, these are the first two she ever wrote, and it's really like you know a fascinating world. The in in this one, the the premise is that you know in order in order to serve their god that keeps you know like food on the table and um 
you know, may, means that their kingdom won't starve. There are the, the nobles um, send out hunters and they have to do this hunt once a year and somebody always dies um, hmm. during, during the hunt. Mm-hmm. And so it's about, and it's, it's, um, you know, there's, you have your hunter and you have your hunt brother who is somebody that's like a commoner, mm-hmm. um, that, that was basically raised with you. And that, and the commoner is what keeps you grounded and, you know, thinking about people. Right. Whereas the, the hunters tend to get, a, they, they kind of have this, this bond with their animals and it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. It was, the first book is like pretty small in scope it focuses on this particular hunter and his hunt brother and then the next book introduces this whole world that they live in and it makes it a much more epic story and um i really liked it i think it it sounds to me like she probably improves a lot as a writer because again this book was written in like 1988 1989 Mm -hmm. and she's written like a bunch of books i like a ton of books under like three different pen names since then okay so i liked these earlier ones i can't wait to see what she does Mm -hmm. okay and then um i think the last one i'll mention just because i'm thinking about it i did read some romance um my my favorite i did read another holiday romance it was a little short novella called wrapped together by Annabeth Albert, which is part of a series that she's written called Portland Heat, which is about Ooh. set in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And very definitely set in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> like, it's pretty obvious that the author either lives there or loves the city a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like some books where they're set in New York and like, you know, it's New York because there are off- there are high rises. <laughs> right, right. I understand. Um, so, and they're about small business owners um this one is like one of the characters runs this like stationary boutique mm-hmm. and the other one um kind of runs a hallmark type of store gotcha <laughs> um, and they are the the awkward thing is that um the one they're two guys mm-hmm. um, the one guy is, is his sister is married to the other guy's brother so they're not like really related to each other but they're you know, I don't, uh-huh. I don't know what that would make you. I, sister, brother, <laughs> double first. Well, your kids would be double first cousins. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. But I don't know that you're related. Yeah, I, right. I get what you mean. So, and it, it's, it's this cute little, because the, the, the boutique stationery owner guy is, like, has always had struggled with the holidays, which many people do. Right. And it was kind of nice to see that reflected in, in a book. You know, it's. especially given how so much of Christmas, the Christmas season is spent talking about um, like, Oh, how magical the season is. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's great. And we're all happy. And, you know, but he's always there. His mom died, you know, and, and it's, so it's a rough time for him. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the, the, the other hero is kind of, he's determined to, to make Christmas good for him. And then they've clearly been kind of, pining after each other for years and they finally do something about it and it was a very cute um sweet little novella that took me maybe two hours to read but I really I really loved it because it was just nice to have like the the one guy that's very sad about the holidays you know he's very stoic about it like you know I'm fine don't worry about me but you just Mm -hmm. know he needed a hug and right (laughs) you know it it was nice to like see him get happy that's good so that was the highlight of my 
month. What about you? Um, let's see. I read, I was really excited um, on, on Audible, and I don't know how I found it. I think it was something like our favorite listens or something, our favorite narrators or something. Um, and I found the, the Jungle Books 1 and 2 by Rudyard Kipling. I'd never Ooh. read them before. And I listened to a sample and I was like, wow, this guy's pretty good. I don't know. His name's Ralph something. I kind of remember. But um, when I and so I bought it and then I was sick a couple of weeks after we recorded our last episode, maybe a week and a half. And I didn't really feel like reading anything with a lot of, you know, heaviness. And I didn't really want to start our book because I probably wouldn't remember it after, you know, being sick and all medicated and, you know, drugged up. So I decided that I would listen to the Jungle Books while I was laying in bed doing nothing else. And it was really, really, they were really cute. I'd never read them before. I'd read certain stories from them, but not like the entire Jungle Books. And they were, they were super cute and reminded me why I love Rudyard Kipling so much and the things that he does with language that are so clever. Um, not to I mention... Not there was more than one Jungle There's book. two. And there, I mean, and he's written other things. He wrote you know, right. several other books that I have read and a lot of poetry. And the, the, the narrator was really good, like I said, um, and he didn't make the animals sound overly like cartoonish, which I really <laughs> thought was was a good thing. I mean, some people make animals when they read sound like Bugs Bunny. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like cartoon characters. And he really didn't. I mean, he made them sound a little different, but basically kept his human voice in there, which was really, um, really sweet. And I think nice to do. Um, Also, uh, so I really, I, I definitely enjoyed those. And I just, I lumped them together as one book because it was one, it was one recording. Um, and they're not really that long. The next thing that I read that I will talk about um, is a, well, I'm not really sure if it's a mystery or a romance or what it is. Um, but it was called The River Knows by Amanda Quick. And it's kind of like, uh, it was another Audible purchase. And I know definitely I purchased this when they were featuring several different narrators that they, that listeners had picked as particularly good narrators. And it was like a two for one type of thing. Uh, and this one was read by Catherine Kelgren, whom I had not heard before. And I, again, it was one of those, listen to the sample and figure out whether you want it, and read the description and all that. Uh, and this is also a new author for me. So basically the premise of this book is it takes place in Victorian England in the 1880s. And this woman, um, it, it begins with a rape, or or a, a potential rape. It Actually, there was no sexual uh, content in the beginning. It just, she was afraid of this man who was in the next room, you know, calling her name. And um, she basically um, kills him and has to fabricate a new identity to cover it up. I mean, you know, so it it doesn't look like she did it. So basically it was easier to do that back then than it is now. And she has come back to London and totally reinvented herself. Instead of being just a shop owner, she's like a, a reporter 
for one of the newspapers that existed back then. And she's trying to solve the mystery of a series of serial rape slash murders that the perpetrator would rape the victim and then throw her, it was always a her, throw her into the Thames. And so they're trying to figure out why this happened. And I say they because there's another guy involved, somewhat of a rake, um, roguish. I guess he's a nobleman or maybe a rich merchant's son. His father makes safes. So he's a master. I mean, like he can, he's a master safe cracker, essentially. And he's basically a, a gentleman criminal. And it was really funny because everyone knows he's into cracking safes and kind of thievery. And everyone's just like, oh, well, whatever. I mean, you know, it's kind of accepted. <laughs> and I guess that was a, a thing back then. Um, so they end up, he and this other, the woman, end up in um, this house and they meet. And so they together are trying to solve the mystery of who the serial rapist slash murderer is. Uh, and it's basically, um, it's really cute because it gives you some insights into sort of Victorian era propriety and manners and um, how you can basically s survive outside that box if you, you know, if you needed to. Uh, and um, it was kind of, you know, like I said, mystery slash romance. And I, I found it very engaging and uh, really enjoyed this author. So maybe I'll try and find some more of her work. She has quite a quite a few books out, so you probably could. I most likely could. Um, a book that uh, following that with a book that I did not enjoy nearly as much Um it was historical fiction, which, of course, everyone knows I always fall for the historical fiction. And it was a free Kindle, one of those free Kindle reads. And I think this was probably this author's first published work. Um, it was called Trojan Tales, Voices from Afar by Edward Neeld, N-I-E-L-D. And I, the writing was horrible. Um uh, that's basically what I have to say about the book. Uh, it was about Andromache, who is Hector's wife back in mythical Troy. Or, yeah, Troy. Um, Hector is Priam's not oldest son, but second oldest, I think. Because he wasn't actually the heir originally, but he was made king for a while. Or, you know, acting head of the army or whatever. And Andromache was his wife. And we know what the Iliad says about her. But this was sort of like a Helen of Troy. Uh, but... Andromache is the featured character, and, and of course not Helen, who we always hear about. And it was interesting, I mean, I guess, but the author went way overboard with his use of adjectives and trying to depict the time, but it wasn't, it was done, and it felt just really artificial. Um, I'm reminded of the experience you had with um, that Tracy Chevalier book, The Girl with a Pearl Earring. Oh, um, uh -huh. where you felt like just overwhelmed with metaphors and, and adjectives. This was like 10 times worse than that. So I really, I, I just did not enjoy it. The, the number of adjectives were just very distracting. It just felt very contrived. Um, and while I thought the premise was interesting, uh, it was just, it was just too, I don't know. I keep coming back to the word contrived, too contrived for me. I didn't feel like I was a part of the a part of that world. I felt like it was the author lecturing me on what life would have might have been like back then. Uh, not basically, not that the writing was dry, but it just didn't feel very integrated. Mm -hmm. um, and I I felt 
just just like I said, the adjectives were the biggest biggest drawback for me. Just too many of them, and they were unnecessary. And like you said, sometimes it was unnecessarily verbose. Um, it was not epic fantasy, but it was kind of the same deal. It's like you don't you right. don't need all this detail. Um, uh, let's see. Um, let's see. One, two more books I want to mention. One is um, uh, fantasy by Charlene Harris, who we all know and love as the Sookie Stackhouse um, novelist, but she's written other things, and I really hope she comes back to this this town. This this book was called Midnight Crossroad, and it's about the town of Midnight, Texas, and everyone in Midnight, Texas has something to hide, some kind of a secret. Uh, a new resident moves in, and then, you know, all hell breaks loose, but it doesn't have anything to do with him. It has to do with things that happened in Midnight before he moved in. And so it's basically about how he helps the townspeople solve the mystery and how they accept him as a member of the member of the town. Uh, and it, it was so cute. It was not one of those, you know, I mean, she doesn't write books that are very deeply philosophical or whatever, but it was a fun, funny um, fantasy read, you know, sort of urban fantasy like she's mm. known for. Um, there is a vampire, but he's real different from the uh, Silky Stackhouse variety. Uh, and um, that was kind of interesting. She, she made the vampires, you know, different. She did talk about synthetic blood a little bit, but it was not, it was in no way uh, related to the, the Silky Stackhouse series, True Blood series, as we would call it. Uh, I really did enjoy it, and I, I hope she writes more. I think it was published in 2014. I hope she writes more midnight novels. It would just be they would just be really fun. Um, and the last book I want to talk about is called the. Che it's nonfiction. Go me. More nonfiction. Um, it's called the Checklist Manifesto, and I really don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. A a tool, Godet or God or something i don't know g-a-u-d gawande is that what it is be immortal yeah oh okay i'm like i don't Which know i really like i don't know how to so. pronounce the name i just guessed <laughs> uh and i guess the bard people didn't know how to pronounce his name either because it was not gawande it was something totally other than that uh but he is a, a doctor as as i think a lot of people know he's a surgeon and he write uh, wrote He's written a lot of different books about surgery and medicine, and this book is about uh, checklists as a form of keeping track of things and how they're very important and how they're especially important in this modern world when we have lots and lots of uh, complex tasks requiring multiple steps. Um, this is just something I stumbled upon in 2016 and wanted to read and never did. So I was looking back at my Goodreads shelf, noticed that this book was on there and thought, huh. So um, I, I read it. It was very short. It was really interesting because he talked about checklists in different uh, professional fields. So not only was there surgery, but there was also architecture, uh, aerospace engineering, uh, oh, and yeah, other, yeah, and there. other ways in which checklists were, were useful. I mean, he talked about this, this Air Force plane that Boeing was building, and they spent like zillions of dollars on it. I don't know how many. But uh, basically, on the first test flight, the pilot forgot to do something very simple and crashed this zillion-dollar plane because it was so big, and he was so anxious about 
all the new things that it could do. This was back in the 40s. Uh, all the new things that it could do that he forgot to check one simple thing and it, it totally, you know, crashed the plane before it even got going. Uh, and um, I was very uh, impressed with the book. I really liked it. And I'll probably check out some of his other his yeah, other books. I really like being mortal by him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's definitely writes really good nonfiction. I'll yeah. read that. Um, so, let's see. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, and I say that because that took almost a half an hour for both of us to do that. Woo, what fun. Um, let's let's talk about the, the news stories. We really don't have much, but just a few sort of updates on the 2016 year in books and um, a couple of movies that are coming out, one in particular that I thought was just the weirdest thing ever, uh, and something about Carrie Fisher, whom we all know does did write, uh, and she died recently. Um, speaking, let's see, let's start, I think, with the library. So, speaking of building things and how complicated it is, that's a really lousy segue, but we'll go with that. Um, in Aviano, on the Aviano Air Base in Italy, which is a U.S. Um, Air Force base, a library has taken 20 years to build, but they finally have one. Yay for them. Uh, they are, uh, it's, it's, they've got uh, a defense college there and some other things. And I, I think it's basically locals and base people can, can go to the library there uh, and take advantage of the educational facilities they have there. But um, that base has been there for a long time, and they've wanted a library. So 20 years ago, they started building it. Uh, one of the contractors went bankrupt, and then they went into the building and actually saw what a like crappy job that contractor had done and had to do most of it over again. Oh, so no. with another contractor. Basically, I, that's why it took so long. And uh, now it's open and, and ready for business. Um. Libraries, um, from libraries to general publishing news in 2016, um, there were essentially more mergers and acquisitions in 2016 than in 2015, and a lot of major publishers such as Penguin Random House are dropping some of their non-core assets, I guess you would say, um, and eliminating so it's basically been a year of reorganization this last year. Um, I remember that we talked about 2015 and how there was a lot of pessimism about publishing, since nothing really happened, uh, in early 2016. And also a lot of pessimism about independent booksellers in 2015 because of the rise of ebook sales. Last year, um, in 2016, there was a rise uh, in independent bookstore sales, especially around the holiday season. Uh, a lot of shopping was very last minute. So I'm wondering if people were like, oh, I haven't bought uh, Johnny any presents this year. Let's buy him a book. <laughs> like going to bookstores <laughs> and trying to uh, find books at the last minute. But that's good to know because, you know, we, we think yeah. about digital books all the time and libraries and, and you know, what would I do if, if, Bar it ever shut down, for instance. You know, we, we all want the library. 
Um, I had a dream that that happened last night. It was very horrible. Uh, <laughs> yes, but yeah. but in any event, um, we all think about the library and and how um, indispensable they are online at any event. Um, and and while libraries in the flesh, so to speak, uh, it's kind of unclear how relevant they are nowadays, although I think they're trying to stay relevant, going digital and having a lot of computers and video equipment and things. Independent booksellers were seen as almost irrelevant because they don't sell the digital stuff. And so it's good to know that uh, last year, at any event, um, sales improved a little bit. And I'm, I'm glad for that, even though I personally don't buy, I buy very few books because, you know, of course, I can't read them. So... Yes. It would have been nice, though. I remember that, that this year I wanted to get um, – I'll just do this little little, sure. this little <laughs> vaguely relevant story. It would have been nice to have gone to an independent bookstore for me this, this last Christmas because I wanted to get, for a gift exchange, one of those adult coloring books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was for people at work. So there, mm-hmm. you know, there aren't that many, bl- you know, there's me and another colleague that wasn't going to do the gift exchange that, that are blind. So, mm-hmm. you know, my coworkers would have, would have enjoyed it. And they, right. and I went to Target and they didn't like, I ended up having to settle for like a really complex Harry Potter coloring book. Oh. But, you know, um, it was like, man, if I had just gone to like a, an indie bookstore, sure, I bet they would have had that. Whereas yeah. you don't think of Target as the place to go buy books. No. And <laughs> I I bought one of those in the, those adult coloring books before. I think I bought it on Amazon, though, because um, it was like, oh, I need to buy her a present. Crap, what can I get in two days? Like, I can't set up a paratransit ride to go to a bookstore I don't know about that may not have it. So I bought it on Amazon, but I think you're right that indie bookstores would have those. Yeah, that's that's what I should have done, but I I left it till before two days. Yeah, <laughs> well, sometimes we don't we don't quite get things done quite correctly. <laughs> Our organizational skills are eh. Um, let's see. Back to the stories. Um, <clears throat> the National Book Foundation has launched the Book Rich Initiative. Uh, This is an initiative that they're doing in combination with HUD and other government agencies to bring books to local housing projects around the country uh, here in the U.S. And so far, 30 housing projects have uh, expressed an interest in this. That's really awesome. Yeah, and a lot of uh, publishers are donating books. I think Penguin Random House has donated the most, but they're seeing other, you know, large publishers donate, oh, um, you know, books to the initiative. So I think that's fantastic. I know that um, a lot of local area charities and things do the same kind of thing. Like we have some organizations around the city that do this. Um, there's one called Book Harvest, and there's um, the uh, local uh, bar association, and I know this because I'm a member of it, does the same thing. Like, we will get books from our members and donate them to, you know, like the housing projects in the area or other places where we think they may be useful. Um, but it's good to know that this is, like, becoming a national thing. And the more drive we get behind something like this, I think the more successful it will be. So I, I'm pretty impressed with that. Um, 
I doubt, though, somehow, uh, well, wait a minute, um, before we get to that story, uh, speaking of kids and books, in Virginia, there is a law pending, there's a bill in the legislature, it's nowhere near law yet, but it's being written that suggests that parent that schools need to warn parents of any book that contains any sexual content that their children might be uh, asked to read and suggest that the, the schools provide suitable alternatives if the parents say the child can't read the book. I have some thoughts about this. Yeah, so, let me hear your first, thoughts. First of all, um, let me tell you that as somebody that works in, in libraries, um, like NLS, you know, we all know that they do strong language violence and explicit descriptions of sex. Yeah. Okay, so what does that, what does strong language mean? I mean exactly. You know... We know, we, we, we think we know, but I, my boss one time took a, fielded a patron call where she was so mad that we sent her a book with foul language, and the foul language was that a woman in this book told a man to shut up. That was it? That was the foul language. <sighs> so, and then you get to sex, which, like, I mean, I don't, like, obviously, I feel like they are, like... Are, is is the school really going to be sending out Fifty Shades of Grey to the kids right. for a reading assignment? What no. is explicit no. descriptions of sex? What is sexual content? Right. Okay, is what kissing sexual mean? content? Is it, yeah, is it kissing? Hugging, is it embracing, like, lying in like, bed next to each other? Or even could it just be like thinking vaguely like piney thoughts like, oh, he's really pretty. I bet he looks good with his shirt off or whatever, right. you know. I wonder like, what it would feel like to caress her or something like that. Right, you know, like right, right, and like stuff like that. That's not at all, you know, what what I I tell tell my patrons all the time. Like, if you, you know, I don't think this book has explicit sex in it, but you know, if you're really <laughs> sensitive to that, don't ask me because I right. have a ten year ten year for it. Right. Like what I think is explicit is probably gonna gonna horrify you. So let and and they mentioned a couple of books in here that may be um not that may be in you know questioned now. Um um so it's it's like books like Brave New World, which I can sort of understand. Yeah, there was like but some kissing. And there was some, some kissing, some and there fondling. was some like ex- there was some like really sort of. I, I I keep coming back to that that um, meeting that they're in where they're like praying to the Great Ford or whatever, and they all come together and they start embracing and kissing, and it's like this big orgy type thing. Right. But it really wasn't that explicit. But that book um, is on the list as one of the books that they're thinking about. Um, and there are concerns, just like we were say- saying here, from various groups like the ACLU and, and um, other groups that support freedom of speech, that when you're thinking, when you're looking at sexual content, just sexual content, you're taking it out of context. Like, how many scenes of sexual content are there, really? The books are not... Right. Books that you're going to give kids in, in school, especially uh, classics, which most of these books are. They were written in centuries past when uh, notions about propriety, especially in novel writing, were a lot stricter than they are these days. You're only going to get a scene or two, and it's going to be like kissing and embracing. That's that's probably going to be it. 
And then you have things like, well, you know, to bring it like a little bit toward the discussion about today's book, um, I believe that NLS said that that had like descriptions of sex, but I don't think it did. I mean, I think there was like, you know, like one shower scene, but it was not, it was not explicit. No. But But the two characters involved were both men. Right. So like, does that, it, you know, is it, is it the, like, is it, was it the gayness that made them give it that rating? Like, would they have, would they have said that, that there were descriptions of sex had, had Robin or Jules been a woman? I think they would have. It talked about kissing and how they tasted to one another and, uh, you know, the the whole shirt thing, like tearing off his shirt. Ooh, he must like it rough, you know, that kind of thing. That's right. I can see that happening if if it was a heterosexual couple, too. Um, But I do think that tends to happen, uh, like with LGBT kind of books. Um, You know, there's been a lot of, um, things I've read but by LGBT authors that are like, you know, I don't write erotica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I write, like, very clean romance. They just happen to feature dudes. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think um, NLS has a tendency to be a little bit puritanical, and so what yeah. they would consider explicit, we would just be like, eh. Not really explicit. To be fair, I don't know that it actually said explicit. Like that might have it might have just said some descriptions of sex. I don't remember. Fair. Yeah, fair. There there were. But <laughs> But anyway. But anyway, um a couple of uh, one other quick no, two other quick things. Um Carrie Fisher died recently and um Debbie Reynolds died a day after. She was of course Carrie Fisher's mother, which both of those deaths were very sad. We all know Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia in Star Wars, but after her role in the Star Wars movies, she did other things, and one of those was she was a novelist. Um, I think, did we read her memoir here in Book Orders, or did, was no, that one of the, no, didn't. it was a book that I read and talked about. Um, I knew she had written a couple of sort of like biographical works, but I did not know she was a, she had written actually fictional works. Uh, which some of them were semi-autobiographical. They, they talked, they were, a lot of them were about women in business or women in Hollywood uh, struggling to find themselves and to find out how they fit in in their various environments. So just on a whim, I might want to check those out just to see. Oh, yeah. Just about her, write, you know, her writing. Because I, I really did enjoy her um, memoir that, of course, the name escapes me at the moment, but um, that I read that talked about her life. Excuse me. Um, so... That was just a you know a little piece of of uh, trivia that people might not know that that you know like William Shatner and other sort of celebrities, she she has written uh, written actual fictional novels. Um, and speaking of very fictional novels, the Captain Underpants children's series is being made into movies uh, by um, well the author of the Captain Underpants series is working, I guess, closely with the movie script scripters to try and make the movies uh, relevant and also focus the movies more on the relationship between the two characters, uh, George and Harold, I think. These are fourth graders who are writing comic, comic books uh, and trying to save the world. And I don't know the books. I've never read them. I do know someone who proofread them for a transcribing service, uh, but that's my only connection with them. Apparently, they're, you know, 
They feature a lot of potty humor, thus the Captain Underpants. He's the superhero comic book character that these kids create. Um, and it's being made into movies by DreamWorks. So we'll see. I don't know that they're going to have the appeal of the Harry Potter movies for no, no. kids that are <laughs> over the age of, say, nine. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I imagine that they'll be, you know... Kids will want to go see them. I, I've noticed the books on Bard, and I've noticed them other places, and but I just... That's not, you know, not something that appeals to me, so I can't really say yeah, much about so it. Much. <laughs> um, so, getting to our book that we read, finally, finally, we're there. Um, the book that we read was All Through the Night by Suzanne Brockman, part of the Troubleshooters series of books that I actually haven't read any of those. Uh, this was our holiday pick. There isn't much holiday in it except towards the very end. Um, <clears throat> but the, the whole deal is Jules and Robin are getting married in Massachusetts. And this is back, of course, before... Um, Gay marriage was approved in, in all U.S. states, and so it is just, you know, a very few states where, where you can get married, and, and they are getting married in Massachusetts. And about all of the disasters that occur before they actually tie the knot. And it was just, in my opinion, well, I felt... Yeah, what did you think? <laughs> It was, you haven't read any of Yeah, them. I haven't read any of those books. Some of the disaster, I mean, some of it was funny. Right. Uh, and, you know, Robin keeps getting locked in the basement or locked in the bathroom because the doorknobs keep falling off the house. <laughs> um, there's a bat colony in the attic. I wish they'd concentrated on that more. That just really just cracked me up for some reason. All these bats flying around the house. Um, and they have to install, like, one-way bat doors. So they, they've bought this old house, and it has all these problems, right? So he gets locked in the basement. There's a bat colony in the attic. Uh, they have all these disasters. Jules goes to Afghanistan and gets taken by terrorists. Um, and just on and on. So it's like, oh, my God, just get these guys married already. Because it was just, <laughs> after a while, it was just, it was so overboard. Um, and I also felt another thing that just was overboard about the book was the sort of preaching about equality and, and mm -hmm. well, I should be allowed to get married because I'm, you know, because I love my partner. And I just felt, I felt a little preached at, like she's proselytized, she's on her own proselytizing campaign, which she admits um, yeah. in her author's note. But it just felt, I mean, I felt about it the same way I would feel about some Christian fiction that I've read. Um, that it was just a little preachy. Um, and, and really, and I don't know if this is something that happens in her other novels or not, but how many times do you need to tell your partner that you love him or her no matter what? And I don't know whether this was just, I mean, she included this, those statements from, you know, both of them more so because this was a novel about two men or whether she always does that. I don't know, because I haven't read any of her other novels. But it was like, okay, how many times do you need to profess your undying love for the other person? I'm getting a little bored here. So, in the long run, I thought, you know, the disasters are funny. But after a while, it got to be a little overboard. And then I just got bored. So, <laughs> that, yeah. and it may have had something to do with the narration. Because I'm not an, whoa, I'm not an Eric Sandvold fan. And, and whenever he talks like a woman, for instance, he sounds like a squeaky toy. Right. Um, and he has this really nasal voice. 
And that may have had something to do with it, but I just, I wasn't really, it, it was, it did not meet my expectations. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I liked it, but I, I think, um, it was definitely the kind of book that you read after you read like the setup that, that she had done for those, those characters in previous books, um, which I had not read. Mm-hmm. I've read the first, I think I've read the first seven of this series. There's something like 20 books. Oh my, oh my. Um, I stopped at book eight. I listened to the bard narrator and was like, nope. And then <laughs> I, I, like I just bought it on Audible, actually, so I'll probably listen to it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> you know, I was trying to decide if I wanted to spend that credit or not. <laughs> right. So that I and I think that since neither of us had read the the setup to this wedding, um, it was. I think it might have had more of an impact on us if we had. Possibly, although I really didn't feel like I missed anything. I mean, I yeah, kind of got I the backstory like from the book, and it was kind of like, okay. I didn't feel like I missed anything either, but I also wasn't, you know, like they her books tend to be a little not soap opera ish in the sense that they're that like you know it's like oh no he's secretly my evil twin, mm-hmm. but soap opera ish in the sa- sense that you're following a lot of the same characters and the same subplots from book to book to book. And so I can see where if I'd read the last three books, like, you know, like, oh, they, like they, she put Jules and Robin through the ringer, which it sounds like she did. Right. <laughs> you know, then, then you'd be like, oh, they deserve to get married and, you know, you'd be happy for it. But I felt like it, since I hadn't read those, I, and now I think that, that probably when I, when I do go back and read those, that like that plot won't be particularly compelling to me because I know <laughs> because you know how it turns how out, it right? Out. Oh, right. Um, and I did, I I did notice the preachiness. I think it's hard because I feel like you know I tend to agree with her, it, like as anybody that that has heard me talk for any longer than about five minutes could probably have guessed. But I did. <sighs> You know, it, it was like I feel like if you are buying this book with two, with the the marriage of two men, like as the premise, there you, you yeah. have a little bias, right? You're already you sort of okay with it. Like you, you have yeah. to be you have to be sort of okay with it, unless you're like you know somebody reading this book like the you know from for this podcast and in, in right. which case you know. Even then, if you hadn't been okay with it, you probably wouldn't have made it past, like, the book jacket before being like, eh, I don't think this is for me. Right. So the preachiness seemed like, you know, okay, yeah, well, you're preaching at people that, like, already agree with you. Right. It did to me, too. And so for that reason, I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, But I was happy for them. I'm glad they finally did get married, despite all the disasters and the evil robot and, you know, all that. Um, there were, there were, there were a lot of funny things in there. What Um, did you think of the little secondary romance between Robin's assistant and the reporter? I actually really liked that. I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was good and kind of cute. Um, I I wanted him to talk to her. I mean, I got why he didn't, but there was definitely like a lot of the romancey, like, you know, if these people just sat down and had a five-minute conversation, well, we would not need the last 250 pages. <laughs> right. I mean, I felt like she dragged it out a little bit longer than she needed to. 
but I thought that it was still a good subplot and that the book needed a subplot. So that was, you know, it was fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was glad it was there, but like I said, it was a little bit more drawn out than it needed to be. Um, that said, I'm glad I read it. it. It's the first, I have to say, the first male-on-male um, romance that, I, that I've read. So, you know, um, I'm glad to extend my reading a little bit there. Um, so let us know what you think about it, and also uh, keep the comments coming. We have had some comments about our last question, oh, which yeah. we... Asked and it was basically how do you track your how do you track your reading, and do you use social media to do that? Um, Kathy has been in touch, our loyal listener, and she says she does not use Yay, social Kathy. media to track her reads. She uses a Microsoft Word document, um, and she does not really reflect on her reads so much. She just you know book and author's name. Um, she's not as geeky as some of us, like me, who actually sit right. down and write little paragraphs about what we thought. Um. And Shoshana has been in touch, and she says... Oh, hi, Shoshana. Hi, Shoshana. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's been in touch. She says she tracks her reads using Goodreads, and um, she reviews them. So she will post on, for instance, a DB review list and on Goodreads her reflections about some of the books that she's read. Not all, but some. And she also wrote in... And said that she enjoyed Some Place to Be Flying, and she thinks she's going to reread it again. The Charles Delight oh, that she was talking about. That was about. a great book. I'm yeah. glad she liked it. Um, and Kathy wants to know uh, if we have any lists or websites that we routinely check for book recommendations. Um, I always, I like Book Riot. They tend to have I good recommendations there. Bookriot.com. And their podcast is loads of fun. So, uh, they have podcasts plural. Yes, they do. Uh, I'm just speaking about the main one, but they also have other ones dedicated to like comic books and graphic novels. And in fact, they have one called Get Booked, which is a book recommendation podcast where people submit listener questions. That's that's right. They do. I had forgotten about that one. You could listen to that. I think it's, they're usually about an hour long and come out every two weeks. And usually it's a pretty good mix of, of types of, of questions. And Mm -hmm. they've had like guest experts sometimes on like whatever genre Mm -hmm. they're not like experts in it. And yeah, I recommend that. Okay. I, I use a lot of, of, um, like word of mouth is typically what I go with if you know I follow a lot of really bookish people on Twitter um so usually they will talk about what they're reading um Goodreads also has a feature that if you go to it's goodreads.com slash new underscore releases it will tell you what is coming out that month by authors that you have read and it's not always a great source of recommendations because like what if you like it's giving me David Baldacci recommendations and I do not think I will probably read another David Baldacci book in my entire life but at least I know that you know that there might be one coming out I don't know that was just a name I pulled out out of the blue um so but that's always like you know you it'll tell you like what books by authors you read that are coming out that month and it's kind of nice to be like oh yeah Oh, that's nice. Look out for that. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that you want to mention? Um, let's see. 
I don't think so. Uh, should we go on to the to the question for this month? Yes, I think we should. Okay. So the question for this month is that since it's the first of the year, a lot of people around the bookish internet, um, or the booktornet, as they say <laughs> on the Book Riot podcast, yes, <laughs> um, they set reading goals for themselves. And Goodreads has it has a yearly reading challenge. Um, and you can, you know, so you can say that you want to read 50 books in a year. Um, so I wondered what reading goals you guys had set for yourselves, if any. Yeah, um, and please tell us about that. Yeah. Um, As I said earlier, I want to read more epic fantasy. So I did do the Goodreads reading challenge, but I always feel like that is um, a number that can be fudged. Yeah. I I set an arbitrary number, and if I feel like it's, like I'm not going to read that many, I'll just lower it and right. <laughs> feel no guilt. <laughs> right, exactly. And I did the same thing. Um, by the way, in order to sign up for the challenge, you have to go to the website. You can't do it yes. with the app. Um, so it's pretty easy to do. You just, I mean, the, there's a link on the main page to the good the reading challenge, and you just type in a number in the edit box when you get there. Uh, but I set up an arbitrary number for that. I don't have particular goal like to read a certain genre more necessarily but what I do have is if I'm going to read something my goal is to basically reflect on it and figure out how it matters to me because I've been noticing that I'm reading a lot of books and they're not really things that matter they're just oh this will be good to read but I want to choose books that actually I'm reading them for a purpose or a reason whether or not it's fiction or nonfiction. And um, reflect on what I read, not necessarily doing a review, but basically become more critical of what I'm reading. Because uh, mm -hmm. I figure that will help me. I'm planning to start doing some some writing this year. Uh, and that will help me to become more critical of myself and my own writing. So um, that's the only real reading goal that I, that I have. Kind of vague and nebulous, but it's there. Um, I like it. Yeah, so write us at bhapodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at book orders or post a comment on our blog at bhapodcast.com and tell us what your reading goals are for 2017. And uh, this next hmm. month, our homework is going to be a book called A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest J. Gaines. Um, it's available on Bard. It's like a really crappy recording of it because it's one of the ones where they just put the marker at the beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. But um, I wanted to read it because it, it was, um, I believe that the author is African-American himself and it's Black History Month and it's about a teacher that is his, his aunt makes him go visit this young man in prison. Um, he's on death row to kind of, because the, the prosecutor or the, the defense attorney, his defense was, well, you know, he's just, he's so dumb. He's basically nothing more than an animal. And that's why he did this crime. We're going to clarify that this actually, the book is not set in today's world. It's set in... No, no, no. It's set in like the Depression era South. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I guess I should have clarified that. Yeah, um, but that's okay. So I think I think it's it's not that long. I think it's maybe like, you know, a little over eight hours. Mm -hmm. And um, definitely not a romance, but <laughs> black history. So I hope I hope it's good. Sure, I hope so too. Um, 
I haven't ever read it, but I have heard about this book and um, it's come highly recommended to me by other people. So I'm hoping that it's a, it's a good read. Um, I will just mention that I reread, going off on a tangent, a couple months ago, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, speaking of black history. Um, and I had considered um, offering that up as a choice for this month, but I didn't for a variety of reasons. Um, one of which is that it's rather long. And so, and, and it's rather heavy and literary, but um, I'm hoping that this book will, will be uh, a good alternative to that. Um, and it doesn't yeah. seem like it's terribly light, but it should. No, but yeah. it should be a little bit shorter and, and easier yeah. to deal with. Um, so, We'll just give our contact information to end the podcast. Even though I did it before, I'll do it again. Tweet BHA podcast, or I'm sorry, or, book no, orders. You actually can tweet at book orders. <laughs> yes, you actually can tweet at book orders. But you have to email BHA podcast at gmail.com or go to uh, BHA podcast.com to uh, leave comments and stuff. And if you want to talk to us personally, um, I'm on Twitter at Bardsong, and you can find Aaron on Twitter at Aaron Edgar, and you can listen to The Melting Pot, which is her show on Sunday nights uh, at 7 Eastern. There you go. Right? Yeah, right. On the Phoenix, uh, the dash phoenix.net. I really wish we didn't have to have that hyphen in there. Uh, I know. It's really bizarre. Um, and are your... Is your blog still up? You still doing I, that? Well, um, it, it's sort of sporadic, but you can find me at flightintofantasy.com or sometimes I write for goodbadandunread.com. Yay. Um, and with that being said, we're going to wrap this up. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. To contact the book hoarders, Send email to bhapodcast at gmail.com. Follow Book Hoarders on Twitter. Call us at 520-81-BOOKS, 520-812-6657. And visit the website at bhapodcast.com.